Thank you so much. It's always funny how God lines up the worship to fit exactly what he wants to talk about. And so um, if you find those uh, songs convicting, then you got this is your chance. You can get out because once I start going, you can't leave. So you're stuck. That's the way it is, you know. And you're too far in the middle to get out, and they're not going to let you. And he won't let you go that way either. You're stuck right there. Well, how are you guys doing this evening? Awesome. Awesome. And so everything sounds good. Is that all right? You guys got that okay? Excellent. Excellent. Okay, well, let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just glorify you and honor you and place this time into your hands now, Lord. Please move and touch in a mighty way here, Lord. We praise you for the worship time that we had and just a sweet time to come in your presence. We pray you'll continue to move by your spirit as you have already and that you just teach us your word, that you'll open us up. Empty us right now, Father, of nothing, of everything that's going on and just to focus right now on you to draw close and that you'll minister to our hearts, Lord. We pray you'll move in, in this time to just, uh, in this whole week, to just show us, Lord, um, how much you love us. So, Father, we place this time in your hands and that you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we were praying earlier, um, Pastor Jacob had um, prayed um, about how this week is and how, you know, a lot of times we kind of gear up for this time. But, you know, um, how, you know, it's one of those things where we should have this in our hearts the whole time. This is that one of those times when we should live this always. And it's just one of those special, uh, sweet uh, kind of uh, times that uh, we can just reflect on Christ. And if we can make that a part of our daily, you know, as to what this week means and stuff. This is Passion Week. And so just try to allow God to minister to you and uh, and bring you into in a place to where you just kind of think about what, you know, this time means and, and that sort of thing. Passion Week, it starts with Palm Sunday. And Pastor Zeke um, had talked about that. Um, and uh, so um, we're going to look at the rest of this week here and then we're going to key on actually what this is called, referred to as Monday Thursday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It's kind of a strange word, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, each day, what they did was they, they tried to take things and, and put them in an in a order so that, that um, you know, the church tradition, so that you, it would kind of reflect what was going on in the Word at the time. And so you could kind of get an understanding and a grasp and then maybe check out some of the different things that 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 happened during this week and so a lot of the things that that they talked about or they put in this order isn't necessarily chronological it's just to put it into a spot to where you know something that you could jump from and that that excuse me that you know people could kind of get check something out on this particular day this is something we can look at and that's what this day represents on palm sunday was a triumphal entry it was prophesied in in zechariah 9:9 9, 9, a tremendous moment in history 
Um, uh, but unfortunately, it was a sad time because in Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus wept and he wept for the city because as he looked at Jerusalem and he knew what was going to happen because in 70 AD, literally what he said happened and they literally took the city apart, the Romans did, as they quenched the last revolt that, that went on there. And, and so they, and they had to move against it. And so he wept because they missed the time of their, of their visitation. And they were praising and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they really didn't recognize him for who he was. That he was God come in the flesh. That he was the Messiah. And that the, he was the Savior. But not as a king that was going to save the country or whatever. But he was going to die for the sins of the world. And they were missing that part. But the cool thing is, is that John and the Apostle John in, in John chapter 12, he recognizes and says that that they didn't understand at the time that that was happening. And when things were going on, they didn't get it right then, but they did when he was glorified. Then they understood and they got it. So the things that he was laying out and the scenarios that he was putting in place, they they then began to understand and recognize and see the glory that was there and who he really was and that kind of stuff. But as as it moves into, you know, Monday and Tuesday, Holy Monday um, is is when Jesus cleansed the temple and, and he was praised by the children and he cursed the fig tree. Holy Tuesday is when he's um, cha- he has challenges by the Pharisees. And so he, they challenged him in marriage in heaven and taxes to Caesar and the source of his authority. And then he recognized the widow's donation. And then there was God-fearing Greeks that came that wanted to talk to him. And then the famous Olivet Discourse. And so during that, that time frame on Tuesday is, the, is they kind of line that stuff up. And then you can go in and start checking out some of those different things and see you know, and, and just what it was that he talked about in that time and stuff. He did so much teaching. And there were so many things he laid out, you know, as, as this week progressed. So many things were happening. Spy Wednesday, they call it. Holy Wednesday, Spy Wednesday, you know. Um, Jesus, you know, is anointed with spikenard. You know, they, they recognize it on this day. I think, I don't know for sure if it really happened then, but I think it was before, but that's cool. Um, but this is the time when J- Judas conspired to betray Jesus. And that shows up in Matthew twenty six fourteen through 16. And that's when he went and he made a deal with the Pharisees. And he was going to show them where he was at. And he was going to deliver them into his hands for 30 pieces of silver. And he set that up. And so they refer to it as Spy Wednesday. You know, Monday, Thursday. That's when we talk about the Last Supper and, and how, you know, the washing of the disciples' feet and that sort of thing. And then Good Friday, which is the crucifixion and the, and the trials, the fake trials and everything and the made-up stuff and everything that they did and the crucifixion. And, and uh, you, you know well how that went down and, and that sort of thing. And then there's Holy Saturday. And this is when they say that Jesus rested and he was in the tomb for the whole day. But actually we know that he went to paradise and he preached to the saints there and took them to heaven and that sort of thing. So I don't think he was resting too much. He's like jamming around all over the place. But 
that was like in heaven and all kinds of stuff because he had all kinds of stuff to clean up and get all the loose ends fixed up and stuff. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday is glorious resurrection. How wonderful that is. And the culmination of everything and, and stuff when it came down to it is finished and the nails and the whole thing and the cross and all of that. And it all came to that one spot where then he was resurrected in victory and glory. And uh, so what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to talk about Monday, Thursday, because it's Thursday. And I think that uh, there's just all kinds of cool stuff here. You know, a lot of times on Good Friday, they talk about the crucifixion. And um, for one thing, this isn't Friday, so we're not going to talk about that. But um, <clears throat> but um, I want to talk about, you know, uh, some of the things that he set up beforehand so that we can kind of gain an understanding and see the tragedy of that and the victory of that and everything can't be diminished and everything. But and if we, we examine some of the stuff that he said before he went, went to the cross and how wonderful it is, the hope that's there that we can see in the setup that he did and everything and the suffering that he did, we can then begin to understand what an incredible love God has for us. It's, it's unbelievable. We get apathetic and we kind of move along and, and, you know, we don't pay attention and life comes and, and things happen and we're just kind of like, oh, you know, just, you know, now I got to go to church on top of everything else. And man, you know, the kids and I'm trying to make dinner and the car messed up and got a flat or whatever and life just comes or be tragedies too i'm sick you know i can't you know can't make it and stuff and 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 things and sometimes god gets lost in the whole shuffle of everything and that sort of thing but man check out some of the stuff that he says here it's unreal monday means command that's what it means it's from the latin and so it it says that um you know it's we are commanded in the in John chapter 13. I should tell you where we're going to be at so you can go over there. I'm already there, but I already knew that. So, <clears throat> so anyways, um, John chapter 13 is where we're going to start at. And, and it's the command in this chapter is that, that we're commanded to love and serve one another. And that's kind of how where we're going to land at somewhat mostly as we're going to set this up and so we're going to start with chapter with verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 11 here and it says now before the feast of the passover when jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end and supper being ended the devil having already put into the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his, into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will no, after this, and, Jesus, and Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not 
uh, wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would be, who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So the scene is set here. The time had come. You know, he, he had loved his own to the end. And Judas was all set to betray him. Everything was in place now. And it was all moving along in that direction now. And everything was was falling in where it was supposed to. And then Jesus, you know, in verse 3, he says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going to God. And so everything now, he, he knew where he was at. He knew who he was. He, he knew what was going to happen. And so everything was in place now. And, and he was just putting, you know, he was lining everything up and he was going to do some tremendous teaching here, but he was also wanted to make sure that they knew just how much he loved them because now everything was going to go crazy for these guys. And he knew this. Everything that they had known and that everything that they had believed in and everything was just going to explode. Everything that they thought that they had a hold of was all of a sudden going to just get trashed. It was just everything they knew was out. That happens to us. You know what this is like. You know when all of a sudden as everything is going along and then all of a sudden it just seems like the world explodes and you don't understand it. You don't get it. You don't understand why all of a sudden is God even even there? Is He listening? What's going on? What's happening? How come this is going on? How come this is happening to me? I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. These guys are in that spot because they see Jesus die. And, you know, and, and the cool thing is, is that John makes it very clear. They didn't understand, but they would when he was glorified because he came to them. And that's what God does for us. He comes to us. He doesn't ever leave us there in that dark place. He comes to us and he makes a difference and he changes things. He really does. He doesn't leave us like that, you know. And so they're in that place. He understands that. So. You know, um, he girds himself with a towel at this point and he fills a basin up and then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, there's kind of a scenario going on here. And so with Peter, um, you know, is he just like being Captain Obvious or something like that and going, oh, well, pfft, you know, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, you know, like you don't know it because I washed everybody else's. You just trying to figure this out or what? Or it could be that he was first in line. And that's probably what it is. Most likely he was the first guy. And the reasoning behind some of this is, is that as you begin to kind of under, you have to kind of understand where everybody's sitting. And it's a triclinium um, dinner. And so it's kind of a U-shaped table. And everybody kind of sits, you know, in places of honor all the way around. And as we see later on, um, as John would be sitting in the first spot, not that he's like the most honorable, but he's probably the guy that kind of set everything up. Jesus is the host. And so that would kind of, you know, generally the host servant or whatever would wash people's feet. But he does that himself. He chooses to do that. He even goes and gets the water himself. And everything. He doesn't have it all set up for himself already. He goes, he does the whole bit, he does everything. 
He's the host. He's in the second spot. And you know who's in the third spot, of course, because the guy that he feeds the bread to is the guy that betrays him, and that would be then Judas. And Judas is in the seat of honor. He is the guest of honor. Then that's who's sitting there. And then Peter... He wants to kind of know what's going on because Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. And so he's like going, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? And he's reaching across to John going, who's he talking about? Well, if you kind of go all the way around and the guy in the last spot would be the guy that's directly across from John. And who is that guy? That would be Peter. And so he's at the very end of the table. So everybody gets it. Maybe he was late. I don't know. You know how he is. He, He gets a lot of bad press. And I always get bummed out because I like him. I can identify with him a lot because I do stupid stuff too or say goofy things. But he goes all, you go all the way around and there's Peter. He's sitting at the end of the table and he's reaching across because he's the... And so it makes perfect sense that Jesus would start at that spot and start to go around. And so the wording is a little bit, you know, kind of says he's doing this and stuff, but then he starts with Peter, but then Peter says this thing and it makes him sound kind of dumb, but I don't think it is. I think that's where he started and that's who he was going to wash the you know, first, and then he starts, and then Peter's like going, what are you going to do? He's like going, I'm going to wash your feet, and he's like going, you're not washing my feet. Uh-uh, you know, he knows who he is. He's God come in the flesh. He's the Messiah. He's like going, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And he goes, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And so Peter, being the kind of guy he is, he says, then wash my head, wash my hands, wash everything, man. You know, just pour it all over me. Just go for it. And he's like, going, you're okay. You're bathed already. It's cool. And so all I need to do is just wash your feet and then you'll be clean. It's okay. That's all we have to do. The term for bathing in that, that's commonly used and, it's, it, and the wording here um, is um, for... Uh, it's usually what they were, the word that they would use to wash a dead body when someone died and they washed them off. You know that's what that's would be this word here. Or if they were cleaning blood out of a wound or something like that, you'd really scrub and you'd really clean that mung out of there and all that stuff. And so, but for this context right here, it means to bathe. That's what it means. And then the term washing here means to wash your hands. That's what it is. And so the difference here is he's already bathed. He's already clean and he says that he wants to, you know, now I just need to wash um, your hands or your feet and that's all. And so he even tells Peter, you know, you don't understand right now, but it's cool. Just relax and you will, you know, I will tell you everything here in a little bit. Now, verse 10 is is an interesting verse because um, in the Schofield Bible, they they take this verse and they go off on a tangent with it. And it's pretty cool and I think it's worth mentioning because um, we're going to flip back into the servanthood that Jesus laid out as an example here. But there's a really cool teaching that goes along with this verse. And what it is, is it's one of those things where, where um, you know... Um, <clears throat> They kind of take the, the scenario of this and they, they refer to this as the believer is cleansed as before, you know, and, and the law 
you know, had cleansed someone once and for all in Hebrews 10.10. And it says that straight up, that someone who is, is cleansed, they're cleansed, you know, the, you know, by Christ, we are, we are completely cleansed. Um, in fact, let me turn over there just to make sure I'm doing this right. <clears throat> in Hebrews 10.10, it says that, um, by what will we have been sanctified through the offering of the bloody, body of Christ once and for all? So if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are clean. And you are clean, you know, and for once and for all. And then in 22 it says, Let us draw near with a true, um, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so he's saying that when we're clean, we are clean. And that's what he's saying here. But then they go on to say that, but there are the one the believer needs throughout his earthly life to bring his daily sins to the Father in confession so that he may abide in unbroken fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And this is this is and I'm not talking about going and talking to a dude in a box somewhere, you know, behind a screen and all that kind of stuff and saying eighteen Hail Marys and you're all cool and everything like that. No, I'm talking about real confession here. This is one of those things where you we did we have sin daily. And we have things that's going on in our lives that we need to bring to the Father. And we need to, to lay them at His feet. And we need to confess these things. Because if we can confess these things and hand them over and give them over to Him, then in that way, then we're conscious of what's going on. And then re- true repentance can take place because we can turn away and walk away from them. And this stops continual sin in my life. I don't stay in sin over and over and over again. You know, and I don't stay, just continue to do the same stuff or to talk the same way or think the same way. Things can change in my life if I begin to take real... And I'm not talking about the, Lord, forgive me for this again today. Oh, forgive me. That, you know, No, true repentance, true confession, the reality. Because in 1 John, he tells us straight up that if you do this... <clears throat> In chapter in First uh, John one nine and ten, he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his words not in us. So I have sin in my life, and I and it's there, but I have to give it over to him because if I don't, I can be in danger of you know getting to a place to where um, the end. You know, the the end thought of this whole thing was Christ will not have communion with a deviled saint, but he can and will cleanse him. I can lose my fellowship with him if I allow sin to dictate my life. And I have dominion over sin. The word tells us that and we know that and we've heard it. You know, and we know that we have dominion over sin in our lives. And how do we have dominion over it? By confession. By confession, giving it to Him, and really giving it to Him, and then repenting of it and moving away. This is so important for our walk and our relationship with Him. Because if we don't, if this isn't part of it, then everything else that we're going to talk to about tonight really is meaningless. It doesn't work. Because then sin takes over and dictates what's going on. And then, then all of a sudden I begin to lose. Does that mean I lose my salvation? You know, and all that? No. It just means that I'm out of fellowship with Him and I'm disjointed and I'm broken and I'm beat up. 
and every kind of nonsense that comes down the road washes me over. And he knew what was going to happen with these guys. He knew where they were going to end up at, and they're all going to run, every one of them. And he was going to have to go out and collect them all back up again. He's going to collect you all back up again. But wouldn't it be nice if he didn't have to go out and dig us out of the rut somewhere and pull us out of the mire and clean us all up and bring us back every time, every single, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we just turned to him every time we messed up and lay it at his feet and not allow sin to dictate where it, take, where it goes, but that we allow the Holy Spirit to take us to places and allow God to dictate what goes on in our lives. How awesome that would be instead of allowing sin to dictate where we go. So, <clears throat> I didn't think I was going to preach that much. You know something? I was on a roll there. I got to calm down. Anyways, First Corinthians. I want to. I want to clarify this. I don't want to just leave it at that. I want to look at First Corinthians chapter eleven, and I want to look at where communion is talked about, so that we can gain a good understanding here from the Word, so that that we have a good idea and something to hang on to here. He says in 1 Corinthians, the apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, verse 23, he says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let, He's talking to Christians here. That's who He's talking to. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For who, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this re- reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if, you, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. He takes care of business. But he's also saying, lay it out to him and make sure he knows what's going on. And bear your heart, bear your soul, turn it over to him and repent and walk away from it and change things up. That's what he's saying here. And so I think it's apt that this scripture here and this tangent that we can go off on, um, you know, uh, we can we can gain a real understanding here and a teaching. And so now back in John 13, we can go back now and. Go back to regular programming here. We'll start at verse 12. So, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do 
as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor um, is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, he gets dressed and he gets himself squared away. And um, <clears throat> and so he tells them, if you call me teacher, you know, and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. And if I, your Lord, wash your feet, you should also wash each other's feet. And you should do as I have uh, done to you. A servant is not greater than his master. And then he goes on and says, and if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And um, it's, uh, this, is, this is the day that churches all over the country have real honest-to-goodness foot washings. That's what they do. They take this, and if you look on the internet, and you look up Monday, Thursday, in fact, the definition of it is in the ecclesiastical, is that how you say that? Ecclesiastical kind of a thing, then the, the, you know, along with theology of it, it means foot washing, that's what it is. And then you can get into the Latin where it talks about it being a command, but it talks about foot washing. And so, um, it, it's it's kind of a shame because the teaching here is wonderful and to make it into some kind of a ritual to where you're going to get together and wash each other's feet, you know, that's just kind of a, you know, uh, kind of a goofy thing. I, but people take it very seriously and there are some churches and that there's probably a bunch of people right now washing each other's feet somewhere around here, you know. And you, I don't know, it, it, you know, you can go check that out and it might be, interesting or if you have dirty feet you know but you might need that but uh, i'd probably kick you out if you went in there with i know they kicked me out there if i went in there and you know stinky feet or something like that you'd like going hey hit the road man go wash yourself before you come in here what's the matter with you but i imagine everybody's got real nice feet that goes in there they're not going to do that unless you do it on skid row you know you could go down to skid row and wash people's feet and they probably let you and then they'll steal your wallet or something too but you know that's that's another whole teaching, you know, and stuff, you know, and, and, and that. But, um, but um, I think the, the real teaching here is the serving others and that sort of thing. And the foot washing would be an excellent representation of that. If, if you wanted to go that route and went down that line, it would be cool, you know, to, as, an exa- as an example, say a group of people that were going to go down and maybe feed the homeless. And that was a thing they did you know, within their own group to kind of get themselves going or something like that. I suppose that could, ha- that could work and that sort of thing. But these were the disciples and they were going to become the apostles. These were the guys where all the churches were going to start from. And he's telling them from the start, from the get-go, right off the top, you guys are going to be servants right to the point where you're going to wash each other's feet. And their feet was stinky, man. Some people have stinky feet. And he's saying that we need to get into it and really work it down so that, that you know, you, you get in there and you start to serve people. And sometimes it's not so great. Sometimes it's real difficult. And sometimes it's hard. And, and sometimes they're not receptive. And they're not open to things. But that's what you do. And it works from the pastors down to 
to all through the congregation and everything and down to to families and stuff moms and dads who are in you know trying to to take care of families and stuff we all wind up in some kind of a leadership position in some manner he's starting with these guys but he's saying teach everybody and let it roll down and he goes and if you understand these things and you do them then you know and it's a blessing because, and he's telling you, I want you to do the stuff that I did. And I want you to do, go along the same lines that what I did. And so he's encouraging them, you know, as disciples and soon to be apostles and to, to take this and to really begin to, to uh, you know, put this into play and to begin to serve others. Not to make it into some kind of a funky ritual or something. One of the kings of, of Judah had to go and get that, that serpent on the stick and bust it up because, you know, they lifted it up when everyone messed up and they're all dying and stuff from the snakes. and Lift up the snake, you know, and everyone look at the snake and then they'd be healed and all that kind of stuff. Well, then they took the snake and started worshiping the snake on the stick and stuff. And finally he's like going, enough with the snake on the stick. You say that fast three times. He busted it up and stuff and said, enough, you guys worship everything. You'll take anything. What do you think he would think if he came in here and he's like going, okay, we're going to do a teaching, you know, on the foot washing. And and everybody like takes their shoes. Okay, we're going to wash each other's feet. And he's like going, no, what are you doing? I need you to go out and hit the streets and start doing stuff. Start serving people. Find out who's hurting. What's going on? Where can we serve? What can we do? What can we do to lift each other up and to help and to do things? That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to become a body and to be close and be connected. And that's what he's trying to get across to these guys. Here in a little bit, their world will go nuts. And he's saying, wash each other's feet, guys. That's about as intimate as you can get. Get close and stay close. And when things go south for you, get close with each other so that you can be there for each other. And not to be looking for something, to get something from somebody. Oh, man, nobody ever helped me. You know, so I ain't helping nobody. No, no, that ain't the way it works. Because it doesn't say anything about anybody getting up and washing Jesus' feet after this or before this or whatever. He was the one with the stinky feet when he left. Because it didn't say anything about them guys or he had to do it himself. And so he wasn't looking for something. He was doing a teaching here and he wants this to be part of our natural walk. And the only way that this can be real is if we really take that sin and begin to confess it and lay it out before God and repent of it and change. Otherwise, we stay in the same pockets over and over again and we can't move because we are allowing sin to dictate. And how can I serve somebody else if sin is dictating my life and I'm allowing it to eat me up and take me places I don't belong? I can't serve then. Oh, I can make all kinds of tries and stuff, but God isn't going to bless that because He's going to be going, you need to get right with me. We need to be in fellowship so that I can use you to the capacity that I desire. And that's important. So then, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so... um, just remember that when we're serving other people, feet get pretty stinky, but that's okay. It's all right. 
just serve and God takes care of you. So, um, this is the time when Satan, you know, um, comes in, enters into Judas, and uh, he goes out to to betray uh, Jesus and the, um, you know, the disciples. You know, they thought that, you know, it wasn't like an airhead moment for them or something. You know, they they thought, oh, he's going out to help somebody because he's such a cool dude and stuff. Well, if they knew what he was really going to do, they'd have probably jumped him and beat him up and stuff and everything. These are some wild dudes. These guys weren't like just you run You know, they were they were from all walks of life. You know, there was tax collectors and stuff in there, but there were zealots and stuff like that and fishermen. You know, there was a blue-collar guys and there was white-collar criminal type guys. I mean, there were all kinds of different guys. Well, if they'd have found out what he was going to go and, and sell Jesus out, they'd have stomped him. And so he'd have never got out of there in one piece. And so he had to go do what he needed to do. God set everything into place. And, and so he slipped out, you know, to take care of business and uh, that sort of thing because Satan himself entered him and says straight up scary stuff so we're going to skip over to verse 31 and we're going to look at a new commandment that is put out here so when he had gone out uh, Jesus said now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also, um, as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's time, you know, for the Son of Man to enter into His glory. And this is such an incredible listing here. Because it says, God will be glorified because of Him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, He will give His own glory to the Son. And He will do so at once. And so it's like, well, you know, it kind of makes sense. God is glorified. The Son is glorifying Him. And as He then is glorified by the Son, then He will in turn put His glory on the Son. And how awesome that is. But man, check this out. Turn over to John chapter 17. A couple of pages over. Check this out. We're going to go over to uh, verse 17. This is really cool. Check this out. He says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone. He's talking about you. Personalize this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so this is you he's talking about. And so we're all together now in this as he's sharing this. But check out verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have Love them as you have loved me. Unbelievable. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the glory that the Father gave Jesus at that point in time right there. He says that He got it at once in that time frame right there. The glory that God gave Him as as He was glorified, you have that. That's what the Word says. Jesus Himself said that. He says that you have that glory. Unreal. Isn't that awesome to even think about that? And, and, and so when we, we allow life to wash us over, when we look at something like this and, and we can be in awe, it doesn't stop there. He says, Father, I desire that they, also, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the Lord has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, that you sent me. And I have declared them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. I mean, it it just keeps growing. It keeps expanding. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and more and more and more. And it's glorious. It's incredible. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And He's saying that we have the glory that the Father has given Him already because He says here, the glory that You gave Me. And so he's saying that, that that he has right there is yours because somebody told somebody that told somebody that told somebody that told you. And now you know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you have the glory that Christ has from the Father. So what is it that can overwash us? What can take us down? How can we get beat up? Oh, we do, but we can always come back. And we always have the ability then to lay things out and give things over and, and place it back into His hands. And we know, oh, we can go out there for a while. We just don't have to go out there for so long. Because He's taking care of things and bringing us back and cleaning us up. We're clean. And He just washes our feet. We just don't have to make Him do it so much. Over and over and over again. But if I have to do it every day in confession to Him to give things over to Him, then He willingly does that because I'm His child and He loves me and He wants me close. And that's His desire. So, So back in our text here.
So he says, you know, that he's only going to be here for a little while longer and that the cross really is here now. And he goes, and you're going to search for me, but you can't come where I am. So he says, now I give you a new commandment. And we're going to look at the new covenant here for a little bit. And he says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, as he tells us here that, you know, you know, by all this, you will uh, all that all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I want to um, look at this a little bit so that we can kind of gain an understanding here because there's a doctrine that kind of floating around and uh, it's dangerous and it's one that um, people move away from the Word of God and think that maybe the Word of God isn't relevant for today and it isn't, you know, accurate and stuff. And so if you just love people, then everything's going to be okay and you'll be fine. But if you don't know the Word of God and you don't understand it and you don't know where this love comes from, then just, you know, loving someone isn't really going to cut it because you have to understand what real love is and we have to understand that it only comes from God and it's put in a context to where, you know, it can be pretty tough sometimes and we're not talking about just, you know, flowers and roses and, you know, kumbayas and all that kind of stuff and everyone's just going to feel good. You know, and if you love people, they'll feel good and the other guy will feel good and everyone's feeling good and everybody's happy and all that kind of stuff. That's not how love works. It doesn't do that. And sometimes it's very painful, but um, that's where, you know, God takes us. So we have to gain an understanding somewhat of where um, this is. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8 here so we can kind of get a little bit of an understanding here of what he's talking about here and what the new uh, covenant really is in this new commandment that he's giving here. In Hebrews chapter 8, looking at verse 8, he says, Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them says the Lord for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people so God's laws are no longer external they're internal and he takes those things and he brings them inside now and that stuff is inside, it's not out. And our reaction is not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And, that's, and so He puts them on our minds and He writes them on our hearts. And so with now, now things, that's the new covenant now. And so the stuff is internal now, it's not external. And so He's telling us now that this, this love that we have is coming from the inside out. It's not something that I can acquire and just kind of try to bring upon or try to do better or or love nicer or be a better guy or any of that kind of stuff. It's something that's coming from from the inside out. 
And if we turn over to Romans 5, 5, then we will know the medium from which this works. <clears throat> As Romans 5, 5 tells us, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts and our ability to love comes directly from and only from God. It is not something I conjure up. And I can get in myself into a very dangerous position where I'm going to just love everybody because Jesus said love everybody. But if I'm not in the context of the Holy Spirit on this, and if I'm not moving along the way, the teaching of the Word, and I'm understanding where this is coming from, then I can get all beat up and thrashed. Because I have to keep it in the context of the Word of God and in the context of the Holy Spirit so that I have a good understanding of what's going on. Because otherwise, you know, I I can try and try and try and I can get beat up over and over and over again. Sometimes, you know, um, love means no. And sometimes it means yes when I don't want to say yes. There's just all kinds of, you know, things that that go on here. And I think that this is the way it should be. And God says, no, I want you to move in this direction. I want you to do it this way. And so that's in the context. And it has to be within what the Word of God says. So if I look at 1 John 3.16, then He brings this stuff all together. And then we gain a real good understanding of why it all works. Because he says in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Back to the foot washing. But now he's saying we're giving up our lives. And that's our reasonable sacrifice, right? That's our reasonable service. And so now all of a sudden things begin to make sense and they gel and, they, and we can begin to grasp things and understand where this stuff is coming from and where it's going and what it means. And what it means to have the glory of God in us and that's been given to us. Only by that do we have the ability to do this. Without His glory, without the confession of sin, without this ability, without the Holy Spirit and without this new covenant and everything, there's no way. There's no way I could do ever, ever love someone else. I couldn't do it. Excuse me. If I don't know Christ, it's impossible. Because God is love. And if I don't have the Son, then I don't have the Father either. And if God is love, then I don't have that. It's impossible. And I don't have the capacity to love. And that's why Jesus is giving them this commandment. He's telling them to love. You have to love each other. You have to. You can, I don't even have this capacity. Because once I get into that place and that position, and then I can react and move in that, and then everything begins to make sense. Well, you know, I had actually entertained having communion tonight, but it ain't going to happen. You know, so... Um, but... I do want to leave you with um, 1 Peter chapter 1. Because I really enjoy um, um, this group of Scripture. Chapter 1 is one of my favorites. and uh, Not like Pastor Zeke where he says, this is my favorite 
scripture because every scripture is his favorite scripture. I have to make fun of him at some point up here because if I don't, he'll he'll feel ill-used. You know what I mean? And so I have to make fun of him at some point. So anyways. (coughs) First Peter chapter 1, looking at verse 17, and he says, If you call on a father who, without partiality, judges according to each one's works, conduct himself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, He indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. He says, conduct ourselves in the time here with fear. I think we lose that. I think we lose the fear of the Lord. I think we lose it easily. I think we don't understand that. I don't think we grab a hold of it. I don't think we understand and really grasp onto the one that holds each breath that we take in His hand. And then He says, you know, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. This week here screams it. We start with Palm Sunday, we go all the way through all this kind of teaching, and you can even do the killer foot washing thing if you want to, but it gets to the end there, and when it comes to that point where Christ is, is risen in glory, the same glory that you have, that's in you. How incredible! And so he's telling us here, he's like going, we are redeemed by this precious blood. We are risen too. He's risen and people will call out, He's risen indeed. So are you. You're risen indeed because you're risen from the dead by the very blood that He shed. With glory. The glory that God gave the Son. How incredible. Verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Wow. From way before, before Darwin's amoebas, way, way before of eternity, the Alpha and the Omega, in the Alpha, out there, He thought about you and knew what He was going to do because you were going to receive the glory that the Father, that He got from the Father. And He knew that you were going to re-raise from the dead. Is that not cool or what? 
God raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. And we love each other in the Spirit. And we are born again through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. You can't separate the love of God from the Word of God. You can't do it. And if anybody tells you that the Word of God is not relevant, slap them in love. No, you don't have to do that. Don't hit people. That's wrong. Listen to your dad. Don't be doing that stuff. Because he says the word of the Lord endures forever. And we can't love without it. It's impossible. There's no way. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are in awe of You. Lord, we, we know that in this text here, you're getting ready to go to the cross. And you're just so glorious because you love us so much. You pour so much out um, and give us so much that it's incomprehensible. We don't, we can't grasp how great a love that you have for us because it just keeps going and going and going. Father, if we have unconfessed sin, We just pray that we can give it over to You right now. Wherever we're at right now, we just want to give it over to You, Father. We don't want to stay in it. We want to place it over to You and give it into Your hands right now, Father. We pray You'll move and that that we won't lose fellowship with You in any way. And if, Father, if we're away from You and we need to return, we pray You'll move in such a way that You'll bring us back so that, uh, that we will have that fellowship with You that You desire so much. Father, we place our lives into Your hands right now. We already have. We've received You as Lord. And You've raised us in glory by Your precious Son's blood. We love You, Lord. We're in awe of You. We glorify You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.